Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I welcome a writer who I have been a long-time fan. Nikki Gamel is best-selling author of 13 novels and four works of non-fiction. Her books have been translated into 22 languages. Her distinctive writing has gained her critical acclaim in France, where she's been described as a female Jack Kurak. The French literary magazine Lear has included her in a list of what is called the 50 most important writers in the world, those it believes will have a significant influence on the literature of the 21st century. Today we're going to talk about Nikki's new book, The Ripping Tree. That is some bio, Nikki. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> thank you, Danny. It's wonderful to be here. And thank you so much for making time. I know you must be so busy with this promotion of this beautiful book. Now, before we get into the beautiful book, I wanted to ask you something about, you know, the bio that I just read out. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of Jack Kurak, and that is some compliment to be compared to him. Um, tell me about this. And are you a fan yourself? <laughs> I am, I am. But I think it was relating more to my earlier novels, mm -hmm. Shiva, Cleave. They were kind of a girl adventure novels, road trip novels, although Shiva was set down in Antarctica, Cleave was set in Central Australia. And I think that's where, where I got the tag from in a way, just because I was this girl adventurer who used to go out finding deserts, whether they're ice or <laughs> ones. <laughs> now tell me, when you wrote these books, did you go and do the research for where these oh, yeah. books took place? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I went down to um, Antarctica. Yeah. I, I went down to the, the Aurora Australis, the big resupply ship to the Australian bases. And um, for Central Australia, I lived there. Wow. I lived in Central Australia in Alice Springs for about three years. 
That is phenomenal. Okay, we're going to get back to this book because I love this book and I do love your writing and it's been described as lyrical and all those things. So I really enjoyed it. Um, So can you give us an elevator pitch for (laughs) The Ripping Tree for those who may not have gotten their hands on it yet? Okay, big departure for me. Psychological thriller, historical. Think across between Rebecca, The Turn of the Screw and the film Get Out. Basically, a stranger in a strange land, a young woman, a feisty young woman in colonial Australia is shipwrecked. She's the only survivor. She's rescued by an Indigenous man, taken to this grand colonial homestead on the coast. She thinks she's made it. It's a chance to reinvent herself, start afresh. She doesn't have to give her name. She can be someone completely different. But what she realises slowly is the illustrious family that has rescued her is not all as it seems and so gradually it's like the spider's web tightens around her and the book's written over a short sharp seven days she has to escape eventually she's in fear of her life so the shout line for the book is get out before they save you I love that Uh, and that's basically the premise of my little psychological (laughs) And, you know, to say that it is, and it is, you know, very similar to Rebecca and the turn of the screw, I mean, two of my, well, you know, definitely my favourite stories of all time. I mean, I love those um, classics. So I love the way you have sort of compared that, but then brought it to Australia. Was that your plan? Yes, completely. I lived in London for 15 years, but then came home to Australia about 10 years ago and was determined to write my Aussie novel because I'd returned with kind of outsider eyes. So I could see Australia through British eyes in a way. I could see why some British people thought Australia is kind of spiky and ugly and Mm. yellow grass and, and, and leaves that hurt you because they prick you and mosquitoes and insects everywhere and snakes and all the rest of it. And so I wanted to immerse myself back in my beloved Australian land, but I wanted to write a cracking story at the same time, but I was determined after several kind of British books to write a big Australian novel again. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved it and I love the descriptions of it and it explores the darkness of colonisation. Mm-hmm. Why was that important for you to explore? Well, it's something I've always been interested in, Danny. My passion is fairness and I guess, you know, I, I don't shy away from kind of political provocative fiction. I've written, you know, we talked about before how I lived in Central Australia. I've written about um, an Indigenous community before in my second novel, Cleave, and I've always been interested passionately in the great Australian wound at the heart of colonisation. In a way, I wanted to pick at the scab of the dark underbelly of colonisation, or maybe it's just a gaping wound that we're not facing. So there's there's kind of a traumatic shock at the heart of the ripping tree. But I didn't want to shy away from that. I wanted to write truthfully about what went on in those days, particularly from the perspective of a woman, a young woman who's very outspoken. I was thinking of wonderful, iconic Australian protagonists like Sibylla in My my Brilliant Career and also Juju, Judy in Seven Little Australians. These were, you know, strong, sparky, stubborn, outspoken young women who hadn't learnt to be 
nice in inverted commas. They weren't meek. They weren't <laughs> quiet. They asked a lot of questions. And that also is my protagonist, Tom. I wanted her to be someone like that. And I wanted to see if she could survive this world without her spirit being crushed. I love that description of her because that was one of my questions about how you developed her character, which you just answered. But it's really interesting because if a woman did have that kind of spirit and she wanted to seize responsibility for her own life, they were often you know, told that they were insane or put in asylums. And an interesting quote in the book is asylum of industry where all uncontrollable women are sent. Isn't that just incredible and awful? And what kind of research did you do to uncover? I mean, I guess we've always known this, but did you do research to uncover more of these stories? I did. I did a, I lo- I did a lot of research, research. I investigated hysteria in the 19th century, um, county win- women's asylums, both in um, the UK, in Britain, and in Australia. I mean, women were put into these places for something called the fret sickness, you know, which was they may have had postnatal depression after they'd given birth Mm -hmm. or whatever, or for disobedience, for not being an obedient wife, or for that awful one hysteria, which took in so many things. And I was just fascinated that a very strong, outspoken young woman, like my Tom, my protagonist, would have this possible fate hanging over her if she spoke up, if she had a voice, if she asked difficult questions about what was going on with the natives, as they were called in those days, you know, the Indigenous people around her, what she saw she felt was deeply unfair, but she was silenced. She was encouraged not to talk about it. Or she was ghosted, you know, a very modern term, but I'm fascinated by the idea of ghosting. And in a way, James did it with the turn of the screw too, with his protagonist. She didn't know if she was going mad. She didn't know if she was seeing things or if it was true or what was going on. And I wanted that sense of discombobulation to be um, put upon my protagonist Tom and in a way the reader too so that the reader has to work out you know what is going on will she escape this will she keep on asking her questions will she be silenced what did happen at the heart of this iconic homestead that's in my book called Willowbray and um, what are the secrets that will be revealed over those seven days. Mm. And in your story, you know, you touch on how it was terrifying to read that just a couple of people could just say that you were hysterical or say Mm. you were fragile, a doctor would come in and say that you were and that was it, you know, you were committed or you had this you know, this label attached to you and there's nothing that you could do. And it was obviously a way of silencing and controlling women. And it's just absolutely terrifying. I know. I know. It's quite extraordinary that, as you say, only a few people could decide it. Or in some cases with the research that I did, a husband wow. could decide it if he, if he got sick of his wife, if he wanted another wife or someone different or she was nagging too much or, you know, she asked too many questions. If she had that voice, it could literally take just one man to put these women away and as my research you know I uncovered that these women just disappeared and people around them they weren't able to find out what happened to them they disappeared behind the high walls of a county asylum 
And that was it. It was just, it was tragic. Mm, It's just incredible. Mm. Now, what I wanted to ask you as well, this book occurs over seven days and Mm. a lot happens in this time. (laughs) I want to know what, how the writing process differs when you're writing in such a small period of time in comparison to writing, you know, something that spans over months or years. Well, I my 20-year-old son, he basically said to me about five years ago, Mom, 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 you've got to watch this film. It's so good. <laughs> so he sat me down and, and I watched Get Out, which was, you know, an amazing film. And it's set probably not over seven days, maybe about four or five, but it's basically about a guy who goes along to this grand house in the country somewhere, very isolated, and it's his girlfriend's family. And he starts to realise there's something very dodgy about this family and in the end he just has to literally get out. And so with that film in mind, when I saw that, something clicked in my head and it was like, ah, that's that's the framework I can have for my story in The Ripping Tree. I'll make it over seven days, a biblical seven days, mm-hmm. and I'll just break so basically the chapters are broken up into day one, day two, day three, that kind of thing. But it took me 10 years to get to this. And I was always aware that I wanted a really fast-paced narrative. I didn't want the the book to be slowed down or to become too kind of hard to wade through at any time. So there was a lot of ripping and slashing. There was a lot of editing that went on. There were a lot of interruptions in my life. (laughs) I wrote a few other non-fiction books and some kids' books. In the meantime, I had a baby and both my parents passed away so it was a big, wow. big it was a big big you know 10 years of writing this and I must admit my brain is all over the place now because every time I went back to the ripping tree I had to reread it to work out where I was in mm. the book to reacquaint myself with the book so it was a very long process wow 10 years and that's incredible but I think having it over the seven days it really does increase that immediacy and tension Mm. in the novel yeah I really wanted that I mean my dream was to create a novel where people were just kind of staying up late at night you know just thinking what happens what happens does she escape you know did did she end up in an asylum what you know what 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 is it what I have to find out so I was very aware that I wanted like a galloping pace to it. Mm, absolutely it certainly was that and I loved how the chapters were separated in days because you you knew oh, I'm up to day five and I think it does <laughs> it does sort of push you through because like oh come on yep. there's only two more days left I exactly. can get through this novel <laughs> you know that could be a few hundred pages but still yeah, yeah really really pushed you through I really liked that now, I also really liked how she said I uh, writing becomes an anchor to sanity and I think so many of us find consolation in the arts I mean this must be the same for you as well Oh, look, exactly. I've always found writing is my solace, is my anchor. I'm a mum now. I'm a mum of four kids. And I find that when they pull me away from writing too much, when I can't get to it, I become shouty mum. (laughs) <laughs> and they they suffer and I can I can hear it in my voice when I'm talking to them it's the frustration of not being able to do what I really want to do and my husband God love him he he senses that and you know now and then he will just say just go 
just get <laughs> lost, just go and write, just get out of here. And I will, I'll go away for like a weekend or several, you know, four days, sometimes even a week. And what I find is I come back so much more calmer and centered and I'm a much better mum to the kids because I've been able to do exactly what I want to do. It's like I've got it out of my system. Mm. But for me, I find I have to write. I, I, if, if I wasn't able to write, I'd be very agitated. I'd be very anxious. I've always written from when I was like 14 onwards and our year eight teacher, she gave us blank journals. And she, she basically said, I want you to write in these. I don't care what you write. I'm going to collect them on a Friday. I'm not <laughs> going to read it. I just want to see that you've filled those pages with something. And that little gesture from a year eight teacher began a habit that's lasted a lifetime with me. Oh, and I'm that. now, it's been amazing. I'm now up to about Journal 37. Wow. Yeah. That's and, incredible. And, well, everything goes into them. You know, it's conversation mm. scraps, it's character ideas, it's it's possible titles for future novels, mm. it's description wow. of a sunset that I might use, you know, 10 years down the track. So whenever I go to a book, I'm constantly mining my journals, as using them as like a tuning fork to get me into how I want to write. For instance, with The Ripping Tree, the protagonist is 16, a young woman, and I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm so ancient now. How can I, how can I get into <laughs> that world of being, you know, an, an angst-written, stubborn, stroppy teen, outspoken teen again? I went back to my journals and, you know, this was a teen in the 80s, but mm -hmm. um, just that raw kind of energy and passion that, that leapt off the page, that was enough for me to put me in the mind frame of a girl that age in colonial Australia. Wow. I love this idea of journals, but it must be work. And if you've got 37 of them, it must be <laughs> a lot of work to go back through. Do you chapter, give them chapters or colour code them so you know this is my sunset sort of page, that, that's pink post-it notes, or do you just go through? Yeah, no, 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 no. And, and it is actually a lot of work because often they've got lots of quotes in there too, mm. a column in the Weekend Australian magazine and I often want to use a quote and I can half remember it and it's like, <laughs> oh, God. So that was in the 90s before I had my first child. <laughs> and so that would be in journal number 16 or 17 oh, and then I can spend a whole morning or a whole afternoon just rereading, just trying to find one blasted quote. <laughs> vaguely, vaguely remember. But um, I always think if ever my house burnt down, you know, apart from the kids and the husband <laughs> and the dog, uh, the journals would be the, yeah. the one thing that really go for to say. Absolutely. You need to get yeah. someone to scan them for you or something. Put them in the cloud. <laughs> that, that Ever. <laughs> <laughs> now you were talking about you know that really you know amazing 10 years you had you know really hard 10 years as well but I wanted to ask because I know that after I had children I became a different reader and I became a lot more sensitive to stories where kids were involved mm -hmm. um, and a lot more sensitive um, when I read about motherhood so I want to ask how has motherhood changed you as a writer Oh, it's made me much more honest. Mm -hmm. You know, I think going through childbirth, you let everything hang out. Everyone <laughs> sees everything. Everything one sees your bits. You can't be um, precious. Kind of boy, precious. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I wrote my, um, my novel, the, Bi the Bride Strip Bear, straight after I gave birth to my first child. Wow. I think that 
energy of honesty to it was a direct consequence of just giving birth and pooing while <laughs> I gave birth and being mortified for like one second and then thinking, oh, bugger it, you know. That's the least of my worries. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, I kind of like motherhood has been a gift me and I remember I asked a publisher at the time you know will I ever write another book I'll never have time <laughs> to me Nikki you will write so many more books as a mother and they will be so much better than what you have ever written before because you're now at the coal face of living yeah you know you look at the kids you look at the the, the playground politics, you look at the friendship groups and teenagers and tr- angst of teenagers and all the rest of it, it's so much life. It's yeah. so much human nature on a plate. Not that I can write about them specifically because they won't <laughs> look at me, but um, I do feel like I really am at the coalface of living now. And I've also become much more disciplined as a writer too because I know that um I have to really kind of steal time from everyone else yeah. to write. And so when they're at school, that's it, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, those six hours, that is my writing time. And I'm so determined to just be at my desk and just power through. I was never like that. I was a lazier writer <laughs> pre-motherhood. But I think it's true, that aphorism, you know, if you want something done, ask a working mum. Yeah, absolutely. We'll just find a way to do it very yep. efficiently. And you'll get it done. You won't complain because yep. there's no time for complaining. Exactly. <laughs> that just takes up more time. Exactly. That's, it's funny <laughs> that you talk about The Bride Street Bear. That was actually the first novel of yours that I ever read and I just fell completely in love with this novel. And I think I'd read it at a time where it was from an anonymous author. Yes. <laughs> so before you came out. Um, but I, as you say that, that book for me, like I think, you know, it was so raw and it was so honest and it just blew my mind. I mean, I had, how long ago did that book come out? Because I was quite young, I think. You must have been a baby. <laughs> you must have been definitely underage to have read that. Three. So. <laughs> years ago. Yeah, and I just think, wow, you know, and, and as you were saying that, I thought, yeah, absolutely, because that book has just a special rawness to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. But that was something to do with being anonymous too. I mean, Virginia mm. Woolf. She said, anonymity is a refuge for women writers. And I really found that when I was writing it, thinking I was going to be anonymous. It was incredibly freeing. I I could suddenly be just very honest and say what I'd always wanted to say, but I'd never had the courage to say. Mm. But now 20 years later, it's like, why was I being so coy? Why was I being so cautious and careful? Um, I've got the courage to say those things now, but I didn't back then. And it was intriguing as a reader too, because I remember picking up the book and thinking, oh, anonymous, what is in here? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons why I picked it up and I I wasn't disappointed at all. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm really interested in, you know, your career that spans, you know, so many books. How has your writing process changed over time? So, for instance, for example, you know, the book that you wrote earlier, Fiction Will Talk, and then The Ripping Tree, how has the process changed for you? Well, it's become more distilled. And I think that began with Bride from the moment when I had my first child because ever since I've been a mother, you know, 
I have written in kind of short, sharp bursts to fit writing around everything else going on in my life. So often I will find um, it'll be either very short chapters or it will just be um, very short paragraphs. So I, I kind of don't have the luxury of writing huge chunky kind of I I can remember pre-motherhood I used to write I used to go away you know into the country and I'd write like till midnight or 1am fueled by chocolate and champagne (laughs) and it felt very decadent and luxurious to be able to work like that and now it's just like oh my god nine o'clock I am so ready for bed um you know so at at night now I really can't write I don't have the energy Mm -hmm. and so that's why in the daytime I when they're at school I just go for it if they're sick it's like are you really are you really, really sick? How sick you really, are you? Yeah, exactly. You really want to stay at home? You actually want lunch? You know, <laughs> kind of crashing into my day. So I, I was going to say I've become a much more efficient writer with motherhood, but actually um, the ripping tree took me 10 years. So <laughs> I can't really say that there's efficiency going on there because, um, you know, some of my book, like Shiver, my first novel took seven months and Bride Street Bear took three months. So I'm actually wow. longer now. Yeah, that's incredible. I think, though, some books, because I hear this all the time, you know, some books take, you know, and you just said that exactly, three months, seven months, ten years. Some books just need mm. to immerse themselves in your brain before they can come out on the page. Do you think so? Yes, absolutely. And and what I do with a lot of my books and certainly with The Ripping Tree, I it didn't settle for ages. It just didn't feel right. Um, and that was something to do with the tense and 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 the the voice. So I started writing it in the second person, which is how I'd written Bride Strip Bear. Mm-hmm. And like you do this, you saw this, yeah. you, you walked here, you ran there. And that there's kind of, there's a lovely sense of immediacy to that, that you're in someone's head, but also that they're at a distance looking at themselves from the outside in. It's quite hard to sustain it over a big novel. Yeah. I started writing The Ripping Tree like this, but it just didn't work. It felt too kind of tricksy for the reader. It was too hard for the reader to get through, particularly as it was set in colonial times. So then I switched to third person, as in they did this, they did that. That didn't work either. It was too distancing. And then finally, after a process of several years, I settled on first person, a diary form, basically. Mm-hmm. And that felt absolutely right. So as soon as I'd settled on I did this, blah, blah, blah. It just, the the, di- the whole book kind of sung and came to life for me. But that did take a good few years to settle and, and to find its voice. Mm, well, that's really interesting. And, uh, and going back to, to Bride, I do remember that that really struck me in that second person. I thought, wow, mm. how, how challenging it must be to write in second person. But I really liked it. I think it was one of the first novels I'd actually read in second person. Yeah, there's not many of them. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking Jay McInerney's Bright Lights, mm. I can't think what else, but you, usually they're very slim because it's a, it's a hard technique to sustain over a big book and um, I think that's why with Ripping Tree I just could not sustain it for that long. Yeah, I think I read one recently um, called The Push by Ashley Audrain, right. which was second person, and it immediately made me think of The Bride Strip Bear because I'm like, oh, I haven't, I don't think I've read a second person book since then. It's <laughs> a really yeah. long gap. Yeah, not many people attempt it. I'm mm, so you notice it when you see yeah. it. 
Mm. Yeah, I've got a non-fiction book coming out at the end of the year called Dissolve. It's a little bit like a a, a, a writerly response to The Bride Strip Bear. It's an exploration oh, of sexuality wow. and power and creativity. But weirdly that, I just very naturally fell into second person again mm-hmm. with that. That came so strongly. And maybe it's because I was channeling that bride. Yeah, yeah maybe. But um, but it's 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 kind of that it's the shorter book again, and it's about sexuality and power and and things like that. So it just weirdly felt very natural once mm. again to write second person with that. Well, sign me up for that book. I'll be waiting <laughs> for that book impatiently. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nikki, a question I ask all the authors that come onto this podcast is, why do you write? Why do I write? Because I can't do anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It calms me down. It answers questions. Mm -hmm. And basically everything I write, whether it's a nonfiction book, a novel or my column every week, they usually begin with a question and I write to answer that, to understand something. And sometimes I don't ever get an answer to what I'm writing but it's the journey that I've gone on that um, is important to me and basically if I didn't write I'd go mad and I'd be the world's most awful mother (laughs) kids would suffer so much I would be shouting at them all the time so I need to write as my medicine and my balm to make me a better mum (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. I like that. Thank you so much, Nikki. I just loved where our conversation went, particularly with motherhood. And I think it's going to be, um, you know, relevant for this weekend too. I'll put it out on Mother's Day because I think, you know, you talk so honestly about childbirth. How can it not go out on Mother's Day, really? (laughs) Yes, the fact that I said I pooed. (laughs) I I thought, I wonder if she's going to regret that. I hope not because I think many people can relate to that. Thank you, Danny. It was such a joy talking to you. I loved it. Me too. I, I was, like I said, a long-time fan um, after reading Bride Street Bear and I've been following your work for a long time, so it's a real, a real privilege to be able to speak to you today. So thank you so much for your time. The Ripping Tree was a fabulous book and, wow, our conversation has just, you know, exceeded all expectations. Thank you so much. <laughs>